0: I'm Russ McQuaid, and this is Indie Justice. He was
1: controlling a DSF, and
2: she was trying to get away. Karen Joe disappeared days after Christmas 2000. So did Stephen for two weeks. So did his car.
3: No way on earth that, that Karen Joe Smith would have left those two kids there. I thought he was a decent guy. I'll be honest with you.
2: We didn't have any kind of crime scene, Russ.
4: I think we all knew that at some point we were gonna we were gonna be here.
1: I knew that once he got her alone, he would kill her. He had promised.
0: There's gonna be two things that's gonna happen. We're gonna bring Steve Halpin to justice. We're gonna find her daughter, Karen.
4: This episode of
0: Indie Justice contains strong language. Karen Jo Smith grew up in Indianapolis and Plainfield, a suburb just west of the city. She was one of three kids. She's very loud,
4: very, very loud, very boisterous for a, uh, so much a such a small package.
0: Chad Bishop was Karen Jo's little brother. She would often uh, come watch me play sports and, and we would go camping a lot. Lana Niblock was Karen Joe's younger cousin.
5: Uh, yeah, she's seven years older than I am, but she was the sister I never had grown up. I was an only child, so right. Karen took me into her wing and kind of brought me up with her. You know, when I needed a sibling to talk to, I would always go to her. Um, she was always there no matter what, no matter what day of t- you know the week, what time it was. Um, she was always there. I hung out with her. Kind of kept me out of trouble as well, too, so...
0: From an early age, Karen Joe would put her foot down and become the little mom who kept the younger kids in line. I took off in my dad's car one time and she busted me
5: and she dragged me down the street by the fat on my arms um, <laughs> and took me right straight home to my dad because I was out doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. So she was that motherly figure along with the, the sister figure that I
0: didn't have as well. Chad says big sister Karen Jo taught him to stand up for himself. And um, if I didn't, uh, she threatened me in that way that,
4: that uh, if I didn't go stand up for myself, then I'd have a battle at home with her, so. I got into an altercation, you know, as a young boy does in the neighborhood, and uh, it didn't go so well in my favor. So as I was moping home, she stood at the front door and watched me come across the street. Just before I stepped into the yard, she come out of the house and she said, did you fight back? And I said, all of these things none of which was yes i fought back she said if you step foot in the yard without fighting back i'm gonna fight you in the yard so just turn back around go back to where you came from and stand up for yourself and and i did it still didn't work out in my favor but uh i did what what uh what she told me to do she definitely if
5: you done something wrong she let you know it Um, but also if she done something wrong, she, she paid the consequences too.
0: By the time she's in her early 20s, Karen Jo has a son named Brandon, by a man who Lana says she thought was the love of her life. Turns out he wasn't, and he didn't stick around very long. Now Karen Jo's a young mother. In need of a career to provide for herself and her baby boy so she decides to become a hairdresser
2: actually i met her in 1987 at beauty school
0: sandra lee started out as karen joe's friend and eventually became much more
2: i met her uncle and we ended up getting married okay so she became family we worked at fiesta hair salon together she was good at coloring
0: tell me about that
2: Uh, i hated it and every customer that come in wanted color, we'd swap out, and she would do the color, and I'd do the cut or the perm.
0: So the early 90s, Karen Joe's cutting hair, asserting herself, getting promoted to district manager, making money, and raising her son with the help of her family. Then, one day, a guy walks into her salon. So, at what point uh, does she meet Stephen Holcomb? Cousin Lana Niblock. Uh,
5: she was working at the Fiesta Hair Salon um, in Southern Plaza. There, uh, that they were building a new Kroger, and he was working at the new Kroger, and he'd come in for a haircut. He pretty much, you know, knocked her off of her feet. You know, he was this good-looking guy. You know, um, had a job. You know, was a construction worker. He'd come into Fiesta to get her hair, get his haircut. They dated for, you know, went out a few times and every time that they would go out, she would always come back and, you know, she was just always this giddy, you know, uh, giggly, like a, a kid again.
0: Stephen Holcomb is a good looking guy with a steady job and cash. He's a smooth talker and attentive to a young mom who's thinking to herself, maybe he could be a good dad to my son.
5: So, you know, we all thought that, you know, maybe she had met her true love, you know? um, But unfortunately, you know, we all know that didn't work out.
0: That's because there's more to Stephen Holcomb. Like a 1987 conviction for dealing in marijuana, which netted a two year prison sentence. At the same time, he was convicted of driving while intoxicated, resulting in a crash and the death of his best friend while they were out celebrating a birthday on the south side of Indianapolis. That conviction led to a three-year prison sentence, and when Holcomb is done serving his time, he gets out and meets Karen Joe in 1990. Chad, yeah, you remember the first time you ever met Stephen Holcomb? <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh...
4: Oh, I was, I was 16 years old and, um, no, I was 15 years old. Uh, I was playing with some older guys and uh, she had brought him to my show. Back then, Chad played in a band. Uh, it was over at, on the east side of Indy and uh, that's where I'd met him the first time. What'd you think? I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, there was nothing that stood out about him. He was just a guy that was dating my sister
0: at that point um, so there was he was, he was short that 's it Jack Lee was karen joe 's uncle and
3: then the first time we met i uh I thought he was a decent guy i 'll be honest with you, I thought Karen might have found somebody that was going to help raise her kids you know help raise Brandon.
0: Uncle Jack says it didn't take long to see through Stephen Holcomb. He was
3: trying to be the, uh, you know, uh, guy that, you know, hey, I mean, I, you know, I'm a truck driver, you know, and of course I'm a truck driver. And then he, uh, he was trying to te- tell me he knew quite a bit about truck driving and, and that um, he, he just didn't seem right. I mean, at the time, you know. It's
0: 1991 and cousin Lana says soon, Karen Joe is married and pregnant. Stevie
5: was born in 92, because they met in 90, married in 91, Stevie born in 92.
0: Mm. Stephanie, or Stevie, as some family members called her, was the daughter Karen Joe had with Stephen Holcomb. Here's Chad again. I remember um, shortly after they were married,
4: uh, Karen, got pregnant I remember them coming to the house in Anderson and uh, I remember Karen uh, just giving the news to mom and dad that uh, that she was pregnant and I I vaguely remember at that particular time that uh, there were some there there were some bad feelings it's
0: 1992 Karen Joe hasn't been married very long to a man she hasn't known very long who hasn't been out of prison very long, and she's pregnant. By then, says Karen Joe's stepmother, Patty Carter Bishop, Stephen Holcomb's young bride was terrified of her new husband. Was there physical violence directed at her that left her with injuries? Yes. All um, the way beginning on their honeymoon. And, you know... From talking to her, what would she tell you either about her injuries or about what Steven was doing or promising or threatening? She told me everything, all the way from where he raped her on the
5: honeymoon, he was physically violent, continuing to rape her, threatening uh, harm to her family and to the children. She was very, very open with me. While she was pregnant before Stevie was born, she found out he was a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd got into some
0: drugs and was dealing drugs and... Karen Joe's cousin, Lana Niblock. Knowing that she's got an independent and a feisty streak, what is her game plan right then?
5: Uh, To get away from Steve. um, She had uh, had went to Anderson, and um, they were talking with an attorney, gonna file for divorce and all of that. Um, She already had the ball rolling, but he actually beat the attorney down to file for divorce first.
6: Now
0: it's December 1993. Karen Joe's daughter she had with Holcomb, Stephanie, is 14 months old. Karen Joe calls Holcomb from Anderson and she tells him she wants a divorce. But the family says Holcomb got to the city county building in downtown Indianapolis first. So he files for divorce and an emergency petition to gain custody of Stephanie. The judge agrees because Karen Joe's not there to tell her side of the story. And maybe... The court doesn't know that Holcomb spent time in prison for the DUI death of his buddy. The family says Holcomb then cut off contact between Karen Joe, and Stephanie. Soon it's early 1994 and Steve Holcomb is rolling. He's outmaneuvered his wife, is keeping her away from her baby and dealing cocaine and marijuana. According to former narcotics detective Greg West... Of the Marion County Sheriff's Department.
6: Uh, I came in narcotics in 88 and I was working narcotics. And uh, one morning in the office, I got a phone call from a concerned citizen, said we had a guy named Steve Halcombe that wanted to kill his wife and also was selling drugs. So we jumped on it that day. Within about four hours, I was buying marijuana from a subject by the name of Steve Halcomb.
0: Greg West is now retired though he still works unsolved homicide cases for the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, and he still carries his fake ID from back in the day. In his picture, Wes looks kind of scruffy with a mullet, and Holcomb trusted him.
6: During my conversation with Steve about the marijuana, we came up a conversation about his wife. I heard you're interested in killing your wife. Yeah, I want her dead. There was some custody issues and they're going through a divorce. He walks downstairs, he grabbed a book magazine called Soldier of Fortune, and he has this magazine and he's pointing at this magazine and said, look, look, look at this. We can build a bomb with a shoebox and put underneath the car and blow her up. So I told him we could take care of that situation. So during the course of time, I made a few more phone calls. We had more conversation. I told him I could introduce him to another undercover detective that was a hit man, was a biker, and he—that obviously he didn't know that we were undercover officers. Uh, I bought some cocaine from him, bought some marijuana. Uh, We agreed that he would give us uh, an ounce of cocaine of $1,500 once he met with our other officer that was going to actually pose as the hit man and build a bomb and, and kill his wife.
0: Steve Holcomb thinks he's about to eliminate one big problem from his life, but in reality, he's opened up a door to his eventual doom. Not only does he have the narcs after him, Karen Joe's family is mad too, and they want Stephanie back.
6: I picked the phone up one night to give him a call to finalize things because we were going to do the introduction of this other officer. Well, he got arrested by Indianapolis Police Department. They didn't know what we were doing on our investigation. They got a tip he was dealing marijuana.
0: That tip, unbeknownst to Karen Joe, came from her family.
5: We turned him in because we knew that he had duffel bags. Uh, we'd seen them before. I wouldn't actually take my my child over there anymore when I seen him pull him down from the ceilings. And that, I think that's what made Karen go to Anderson because he pulled duffel bags down. Um, so we knew it was in the house. So we uh, were at Kim's house and we called and told him that he had a toddler in the house and was dealing drugs. So um, we were like four blocks away before we could get there. They already had the house surrounded.
0: In less than two months, Stephen Holcomb's carefully laid plans are coming apart. Now it's February of 1994 and he's staring at four felony drug counts and a habitual offender charge. And he's looking for somebody to blame. And now he knows Greg West is a cop.
6: I got my probable cause of what had done so far on the marijuana and cocaine end of it. And the next day or day after we arrested him. And uh, he had, uh, I took the warrant, walked it through to the judge and asked for a million dollar bond and I hadn't been out of the city county building. I was still up there hanging out. Got a call about 20 minutes later said they picked him up over at the prosecutor's office. He had filed, wanting to file charges on his wife for battery on him. So when they ran him, found that they had my warrant for a million dollars for dealing cocaine and marijuana, we, uh, they picked him up, brought him to me. He wanted me to uh, uh, get him out on bond. He'd buy narcotics with you know on his dealers there was no way i was going to deal with him have him out on the street while he was out on the street kill his old lady you know
0: at the point working every angle Holcomb is ready to turn on his other drug dealers he's going to set them up for the narcs while at the same time he's plotting karen joe's murder especially because he thinks it's her fault he's in jail and he says so in letters he later writes from prison west says Holcomb had another plan too
6: you know why he was in jail pending case on my drug case he's running his mouth and he puts a twenty thousand dollar contract on me thinking he get me killed you know so he could beat his dope case he tried to hire some people you know and I'm thinking this guy's a real piece of work you know he's already tried wanting to kill his wife that didn't work out for him that's time now he's going to kill a cop you know for his drug activity and the day after I arrested him back When at the drug charges, I came over to this business over here, which was a hair salon that I learned that she worked at, his wife, Karen Joe Smith. I had a conversation, what he was trying to do, trying to kill her, was gonna hire me to introduce another officer, and she was shocked.
0: It's the summer of 1994. Karen Jo has been living under a protective order to keep Holcomb away. He's in jail awaiting trial on a big bond because Greg West is afraid Holcomb's going to try to kill his wife. Karen Jo gets Stephanie back, and the judge orders Holcomb to pay her $36 a week in child support and says when he gets out of prison, then Holcomb can petition for a visitation to see his daughter. The divorce becomes final, and early the following year, Holcomb starts a 12-year prison sentence for dealing cocaine. Lana Niblock tells me Holcomb blames Karen Joe. I can imagine it probably doesn't take Stephen Holcomb more than about five minutes to figure out how all this went down.
5: No, he wrote her a, when he got convicted, he thought she was the one that had turned him in. Um, and he wrote her a five-page letter while he was in prison saying it didn't take a rocket scientist you know, to figure out that she was the one that turned him in. Well, she wasn't.
0: The first time I covered Karen Joe's story on Fox 59 News in January of 2001, her family told me Holcomb promised someday he would get even. Relatives say Smith feared her ex-husband. He wanted control of her. Chad Bishop says his sister knew her life was at stake and she was playing the odds.
4: I thought at the time he was in prison that Karen um uh just you know just wrote him off he was in prison but uh, i did find out later that that she had paid visit to him and and um uh brought the brought the children to to meet with him just to kind of stay in contact and 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 i think it was just to keep the uh his temper at bay Mm
1: -hmm.
0: did he continue to write letters to her and reach out to her Mm -hmm. and what was the tenor of that communication
5: uh, well, like I said, he wrote her a you know six-page letter saying that he knew that she was the one that had turned him in, and that you know she wasn't going to keep his child from her, you know, just all different kinds of things. I mean, there was a suitcase full of you know letters that had been written to her um, that she had actually give to Kim and said, if anything ever happened to me, give this to the police.
0: Why would Karen Jo Smith stay in touch with the man who made her life hell? Tried to hire somebody to kill her. Her family says Holcomb told her someday he would put her face on a milk carton. You know, have you seen me? Karen Jo's stepmother, Patty Carter Bishop.
4: She would take Stephanie over to Pendleton
5: Reformatory to see Holcomb periodically. Her fear was he was going to get out and kill the whole family. So keep your friends close and your enemies closer. She did it all on the slide, thinking she knew, you know, again, thinking that if I keep him close, I'll know what he's doing. Not uncommon for a woman in that type of
0: situation. While Holcomb is locked up, Karen Joe is attempting to move on with her life, she lives out of state for a while with family down in Scottsville, Kentucky, and she's happy. She meets a new guy, but eventually she returns to Indianapolis, a half hour drive away from the prison in Pendleton, Indiana, where Steve Holcomb sits in a cell.
5: I personally think that she felt, she debated for the longest time on whether she should let uh, him have a, a relationship with Stevie or she should just keep him, keep her away from him. So I personally feel like she felt if she let him in with the relationship with Stevie, she would always know what he's doing after he wrote, right, after all of these letters.
0: Uncle Jack Lee.
3: They were trying to reconcile. From from what Karen told me was Steve changed and that She was thinking about taking him back and then, you know, trying to make it work for for Stephanie's sake, you know.
0: It's the summer of 2000. Holcomb has behaved himself behind bars and cut about six years off his prison sentence. And he's ready to come home.
2: She picked him up. We did not know that she picked him up from prison
1: when he was released.
0: The date is August 16th, 2000.
4: When he was released, he went straight to uh, the house there. That was mid-August. By Labor Day weekend, she was contacting me about moving in with me at my house in Anderson. He had uh, taken taken her to breakfast. He had made some comments about uh, some things he could learn in prison and if Things didn't go well, he could do some things and uh, she would be dead and the police wouldn't be able to
0: trace it.
2: I talked to Karen in September after Halcombe got out of prison.
0: Karen on Sandra Lee.
2: I knew she was living with him and I'm like, what are you doing? She said, as long as I have him in front of me, I know what he's up to. She said she was tired of looking over her shoulder.
0: So now Karen Jo Smith is looking her devil in the eye every day, death before dishonor, Holcomb would write his ex-wife from prison, and he's back living with the woman who he thinks dishonored him and turned him in. Chad Bishop says he never got in Stephen Holcomb's face. I didn't have any
4: contact with him. Uh, At that time, I refused to do so. Uh, But I did let Karen know, we can do this. You know, when, when she called me, I said, we can do this today and you can come here and you, you can get back into, I, I think she wasn't cutting hair at the time, but she could, she could get back into it and everything would be fine. We'll figure out all
0: the logistics later. Why didn't she take you up on that offer? She was scared. October 2000 Halloween gives way to November Thanksgiving and Holcomb's menacing presence puts a strain on Karen Joe's family. By now, Chad's not talking to his sister and other family members are telling her to move out. Pretty soon, it's late December, and the domination of Karen Jo Smith by Stephen Halcomb is about to reach a breaking point. When's the last time you saw or talked to your sister? I went Christmas Day. It was uncomfortable.
4: Steve Holcomb was there at the house. I did not enjoy it at all. Um, we, I didn't say too much to her. I was angry.
0: Did you have an inkling at that point in time that this is probably not going to end well
4: no no i I i was just hopeful that um she would just ask him to leave the house now whether or not he had a relationship with his daughter i didn't care too much about i just didn't want him living there with with karen so um no i had no idea that just in a couple of days, things would be flipped upside down.
0: We haven't talked about him too much, but there's a young boy living in Karen Joe Smith's house. And because of what he's about to see, he's going to grow up real fast. What is your name?
1: Brandon Smith.
0: All right, when were you born?
1: In March, 1987.
0: All right, so, who was Karen Joe? My mother. Brandon Smith was about four years old when Stephen Holcomb came into his life. He was 13 when his mom left it. You remember when Holcomb was not in the picture before he ever came along? hmm Yeah, tell me about you and your mom back then.
1: No, just me and her. The greatest ever. Yeah. Homework. She never put up with anything less than a C. And she didn't like those. She was on me about school. Never missed a baseball game or any kind of gig.
0: She didn't take any fooling around. No. Did she ever get in trouble? Uh, the first
1: time I got caught skipping school, I was at my buddy's house and she showed up at the front door, and she whooped my ass.
0: Do you remember when Stephen Holcomb came into her life?
1: He always used to take me and buy me stuff, but I don't remember exactly when or mm-hmm.
0: how. Or How did he treat you?
1: Uh, he was on me. He explained me with a powder once. My mom liked to kill him. Oh, uh, but he always would buy stuff and go to eat and for the most part treated me good, really.
0: At some point, could you tell or did anybody tell you that things aren't going so well between your mom and him? yeah
1: she would she' would always be beat up or or the family would get into it with him and he'd have black eyes and I couldn't come around. And
0: I remember all that. This is what Brandon remembers about the only father figure he knew growing up. The man his mom would take him to visit in prison. When I
1: was young, I really didn't know. She always told us it was his work.
0: It was the summer of 2000. Karen Joe had been back and forth to Kentucky. She's staring hard at Holcomb's August release date on the calendar. And she takes Brandon aside for a serious mother and son talk.
1: I remember sitting down with her and she asked, you know, she was ready to leave before he got out. And I told her I was tired of running, you know. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. And, we talked, you know, and the next thing you know, he was living with us.
0: Karen Joe has invited her tormentor back into her house. Her family disagrees, but there's a 13-year-old boy and an 8-year-old little girl there, too, and she's got to protect those kids. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, she thinks. But time is running out. So it gets to be the holidays, gets to be Thanksgiving, gets to be Christmas. What's that like?
1: Uh, a lot of family, always, you know. It was a little weird because, like, people would come and try to give my mom hugs or whatever, you know, family, and he, he was jealous, so it was always weird.
0: Like, uh, he didn't want her having anybody that she could confide in anybody to be friends with anything like right that. brandon didn't know it but his mom had made a decision that christmas holcomb would have to go she told her cousin lana and Lana, when's the last time you saw or talked to karen joe uh
5: on the 26th she was at my house that evening uh we were making homemade pizza she'd actually told steve that day that when they got home when he got home from work they had to talk Um, and he left work immediately he didn't even wait till the end of the day he come home and she had told him that it just things wasn't going good you know he could have the life with stevie but you know i don't want no more part with you you know um so he paid the rent and stuff like that. He's like, well, you can't let me, you can't just throw me out on the street. You have to give me till the first of the month. So Karen was like, okay, I'll give you, you know, till the first of the month.
0: To bolster her courage and maybe give everyone she knew a heads up, Karen Jo made 30 or 40 phone calls that night, says Lana, but ignored her cousin's advice to not go home.
5: She kept saying, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. And I'm like, well, just stay here. You don't have to go home but the kids were at home. So Brandon had had a buddy uh, spending the night um, and him and Stevie were there at the house and she's like, I've got to go home. So I'm like, okay.
0: That night, Brandon gets a call from his mom. She's at Lana's house. He tells her, don't come home. Earlier in the day, Brandon had been locked out of the house on Weighor Street. So he kicked in the back door to get inside. Holcomb nailed it back shut and he wasn't happy. Were you there when she finally laid it on him and said, you know, you got to go?
1: Yeah, when she come home, I had told her about the door. It was cold, it was winter time, so you could feel the coldness coming in and, uh. he was, I, I come into the living room or the kitchen, he was hovered over, her. and uh, I grabbed my baseball bat and told him we ain't doing this no more, and he he looked at her and rolled his finger and said this is bullshit and walked out of the room, and my mom just hugged,
0: One of the last photographs the family has of Karen Joe was taken that Christmas. She's wearing a Santa Claus hat. Her eyes are sparkling, and she's got a tight lipped smile. Later that night, Brandon saw his mom for the last time in the living room watching TV while Holcomb was stretched out on the couch.
1: She went on about her business. I had my cousin there. So we went upstairs, finally went to sleep. Or was watching, playing video games. I come down, he was flipping channels. She was on the chair and I woke her up, told her to go to bed, you know? And she never went to bed and we finally went to sleep. And Lana called the next morning is when I woke up and was hollering for her, and she never responded.
0: And I searched through the house and she wasn't there. Brandon would be the last person to ever see his mother alive. Well, there was one other. We knew Steve was involved in
3: her disappearance. We strongly felt that. I knew that
2: once
4: he got her alone, he would kill her. He had promised. We believe that he probably is on the run, and we are looking for him.
0: The search for Karen Jo Smith and her killer next time on Indie Justice. I'm Russ McQuaid, Thanks for listening. Indie Justice is reported
4: by Russ McQuaid and produced by Greg Margerson, Maureen Caruso, and Mallory Wheel. Maverick Atterbury is our editor. If you have information on this story to report, you can submit a tip to Crime Stoppers at 317-262-TIPS. If you have feedback or story suggestions, you can email us at indiejusticepod at gmail.com or tweet us at indiejusticepod. Check out fox59.com slash indiejustice for more content.